You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. First Corinthians chapter 3 is where we'll be tonight. We'll just read a few verses here in a minute. But a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago actually, uh, we started looking at... at Bible principles related to our finances, and uh, uh, there are a few subjects more practical, I think, and needed for every one of us than our finances, because it, it impacts every single one of us, but I also, uh, I'm not sure there's a subject people seem to be less excited about at times than finances. Um, I, I do think we're supposed to spend a few weeks looking at some of this, and, and, and it's for a few reasons. Uh, number one, we're in a season of giving as a church. And it, we just came out of the church planting conference a couple weeks ago, and that was an, that was an incredible, uh, just an incredible meeting, in my opinion, just to see the Lord work uh, the way that he did. And um, I've been getting thank you notes from pastors and people that visited, and I just, um, you know, it, 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 whether or not we saw how impactful it was, the people that visited and were here, they saw it. And uh, it, it, moved, it moved them in a special way. And I just want to say thank you for that uh, because we're in a season of giving. And, and that, was a, that was a part of it. We have the missions revival coming up. We have the missions offering coming up. We have our faith promise missions giving commitments coming up. And that's all a part of, our, of giving. And it's all a part of, of this season where there may be, you may feel a little bit taxed. And, um, and so we have some things as a church that, that we've got coming up to give to. I also, there, uh, another reason this is important is um, we have a, we're in a season, I think, coming up as a church where we will have some bigger things to be, to be addressing financially. And, um, you know, I'm just thinking about all the things that, that we probably could, could do. I, I'm thinking about staff. You know, we've got uh, Brother Samuel uh, and Miss Brielle coming here. And uh, I'm telling you, it's already been a huge blessing to me uh, to have them here. And to have Brother Samuel here this summer was just so helpful to me. Um, and, and yet a church our size, it really wouldn't be much longer before we could look at another staff member. And um, to, to address or focus on some of the other, some other areas, Brother Samuel already has two pretty large areas that he's looking at it with the music and the youth. And uh, those take up; those will take up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of his week, a big part of his week. Um, and and we really have some other things that I think the Lord would have us to focus on with staff. Um, we've got some building needs, and you say, "Well, look at our building; it's new." Well, it's it's 11 years old, really. And uh, you you know you don't go very often; you don't go 11 years at your home without doing any kind of maintenance. Um, and if you've noticed, uh, when it rains recently. Um, our roof lets us know it inside, um, and that's becoming an issue. And that's that's no sm that won't be a small expense, by the way, for a roof this large. Uh, so we have some expenses coming up. We have um, we we've got some other things um, that need to be addressed. We've got some drainage I issues um, over here on the west side of the property that need to be addressed, and some concrete issues that will need to be addressed. Um, if you've noticed, out in the front of uh, the entrance, we've got. You know, uh, we, we've had the sinking of the concrete, and I know that's been addressed at one point, but it's, 
it's an issue again, and uh, it, it becomes a tripping hazard, which that's happened already as well. That will need to be addressed. Um, I'd love to do some improvements, um, you know, to our sign, for example. Um, you know, it used to be that sign was probably pretty visible whenever it was put, first put up, but now that Veterans Parkway has been built up, and it's kind of hidden down there, and it'd be nice to make some improvements to that. Um, it'd be nice to have a way to protect our buses and our church vehicles. And, uh, if, you know, whether or not, maybe not everybody heard about this, but um, in the last uh, month or so, we had all the catalytic converters stolen off of all the church vehicles um, all at once. Somebody in, uh, made a killing at some, um, at some I don't know, they, they sold them somewhere on the black market, where the catalytic converters, wherever you buy those. Um, they took it and uh, they, they made sure that all of our, all of our vehicles were without them. So uh, that was an expense, and it's an, it was an insurance exp expense as well. And so we're trying to think of ways that we could protect our, our, our buses to protect our church vehicles. And I think we're at a point where it's becoming an issue of good stewardship um, because of the, all, the, all the things that happen to it. And, you know, it's not like that we live in a bad neighborhood, but we have, there are bad people in every neighborhood and there are people that we, we do deal with a, a, a fair amount of vandalism here on our property and just things like that. And, and then not related to church, you know, the reason I think this is important, we're coming to a season where a lot of people go into debt. And debt is already an issue. Um, almost three out of four Americans say they're burdened by debt. But, you know, I know, I know families, I've dealt with families in the past um, not necessarily here, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happens here as well. But I've dealt with families that around Christmas time, they go into lots of debt and then they spend the rest of the year trying to get out of it. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's not a good way to operate, but a lot of people do that. I, I'm thinking about in the, you know, there's just a lot of things coming up that I think make this a timely uh, season for talking about some of these things. And just to let you know, in the next couple of months, we are uh, beginning the process um, of pursuing having a financial peace class here at Eastside Baptist Church. And uh, how many of you have ever been through financial peace before? Okay, so just a few. I think it'd be helpful uh, for our church to go through something like that. It's Dave Ramsey's program, and it really is, it can be life-changing um, if you're willing to put the principles into practice. So before we come into that, I, I just feel like there are some things I want to cover. And tonight's a pretty general principle, and, um, and, I, and I'm aware of the time too. I don't know that we'll get through all of it. Um, the first message, though, a couple weeks ago, just to remind you, we talked about how in the life of Solomon, when God came to him and said, you can ask whatever you want, and Solomon, you know, while many of us might have asked for riches and wealth and influence and power, Solomon asked for what? He asked for wisdom. And if you'll remember, God gave him all the other things because he asked for wisdom. And I think the principle that's seen there is, is that riches and those things, they're important and they're helpful as long as they're not the master. Money makes a terrible master. And if you've ever been in bondage to debt, then you know what it feels like to have a master that's cruel and a master that's, that's unrelenting, you might say. And we talked about the principles that might help that if money is your master, that the things that you need to consider, the, the principles that you, need, you and I need to think about is that money is a means, it's not an end. Solomon knew that. He knew that the most important thing in life wasn't money. He asked for wisdom and God gave him money. 
Money is a means, it's not an end. Another principle we looked at was that your money belongs to God. And that's a hard one for some people to get to, is that your money is God's money. Number three, that your God-given goals must drive your financial decisions. And then number four, contentment produces more happiness than wealth. To just be happy with where you are in life. And a lot of people are looking for contentment through riches, but that does not provide happiness. And I'm thankful that it doesn't, that it's not dependent because most of us in here will never be wealthy. But it doesn't mean we can't be happy. And I'm thankful for that. So tonight, I, I'm just going to begin by giving a principle. And, and, and I want to start by using a phrase that you've probably heard before. And, and, and I think Zig Ziglar, a uh, motivational speaker uh, with a great name, by the way, Zig Ziglar, said, uh, a person who aims at nothing will hit it every time. Have you heard of that before? A person who aims at nothing will hit it every time. And if you don't have a destination, you're just wandering around. It's kind of like the difference when, when we lived in Oklahoma, especially. Uh, we lived uh, in, in the country, and we had um, a long driveway, and we had gravel roads, and there wasn't a lot of traffic. And we, just about every night when the weather was good, if we could, we would take a family walk. Just what we did. We would, we would go walking through the country and, and just enjoy time together. And we were never out to break any records. We, sometimes we didn't get very far because if Jace found a dead animal or something, that would take a lot of our attention for a while. If he saw a snake, you know, then the girls would speed up a little bit. But Jace would likely stick around and try to, try to play with it a little bit. Um, but, you know, our family walks were never very urgent. We would just go for a walk. That's what we did. And there's a big difference, though, between that and a few years ago when, when I tried to keep up with my wife and prepare for a half marathon. Those, those outings were a lot different than our family walks. And usually it ended up with, with me needing CPR. So um, trying to keep up with her. But, you know, many people walk through their, their, financial, their financial life. They, they, they approach it. Uh, with a family walk mindset and not a training for a race mindset. And that they're just kind of wandering through life. But we need to learn this. If you've got important goals in your life, you are, they are rarely achieved by accident. You rarely will achieve things that are significant by just stumbling across it. Uh, Mount Everest seemed unconquerable to most until Sir Edmund Hillary stood on its peak in 1953. And in the almost 70 years since, I think there have been about 6,000 others who have scaled the mountain. Over 300 of those have died in the process. Everest is not a feat that you achieve by accident. And Zig Ziglar, again, uses this illustration. He says, let's suppose that Edmund Hillary, um, after coming down from Mount Everest, is asked by a reporter, and, and he says, Mr. Hillary, how did you climb Mount Everest? And much to everyone's surprise, um, Sir Edmund Hillary responds with, says, well, I was just walking around, and I saw this big old hill, so I decided to climb it. I don't think that would be his answer. Um, because you don't accomplish something like Mount Everest by just stumbling across Mount Everest. And it's absurd, but it's just as unlikely for you and I to think that we will achieve important life goals by accident. And I, I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's just read these few verses 
and, and just try to understand what's, what, what Paul is saying here. Verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, if your life is not built on Jesus Christ, um, your house will crumble and fall. Other foundation, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He says, now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So just to give a summary is that this is in many ways us deciding how we want it to be when we stand before Jesus Christ and we're judged for our lives. And there are really, there's two options. There's gold, silver, and precious stones, meaning that those represent the works that we did for Christ that actually made a difference in eternity. Those works that we did for Jesus Christ for eternity, at the end of our lives, the kind of works that we did will be made manifest. They'll be revealed. And it says that fire, in verse 13, um, it will be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And listen, I don't know how it works, I, but here's how I imagine it working. I imagine that it'll be, just imagine yourself and you're standing before the Lord at the end of your life. And I don't know if there's, I, I'm imagining some kind of an altar with flames and you, and I know this is speculation, but you will, uh, I'm just imagining that we have some kind of a bag that is filled with our works, the works that we did as Christians. Now this is, by the way, this is a different judgment than those that aren't saved. The great white throne judgment is different. And those that have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, you will also stand before God, and, but you'll be judged for your sin, and, when, and that day, if, you're, if you stand before God at the great white throne judgment and you're judged for your sin and you've never trusted Christ to pay for your sin debt, at that day, he, your name will not be in the Lamb's book of life and you will be cast away from God forever and, and separated from him in hell. And I'm not trying to scare you tonight. I'm trying to let you know what the Bible says. You can read it for yourself in the book of Revelation. But for Christians, we will stand before God, and I'm imagining that we have a bag full of our works for God, and we bring it up and we set it on a table, then he takes our works and he puts it on an altar. He puts it in the fire, and then he lets the fire burn for a while. Then after a while, I'm imagining that the fire burns down, and you're just left with ashes. And then I'm imagining that God himself then will take his finger and he'll kind of brush his finger through the ashes. And as he brushes his finger through the ashes, he's looking for anything that remains. He's looking for gold and he's looking for silver and he's looking for precious stones, which are just simply a, an illustration of those things that don't get burned in fire. 
I don't know if it's literally gold and silver and precious stones or if it's just the idea that there are some works that if they are burned in the fire and tried by the fire, they will remain. But all the works that we did as a Christians, not for God, not for eternity, that maybe we did for ourselves, they burn up and there's nothing left. And there will be some at that judgment that at the end of it, they have armfuls of gold and silver and precious stones, which, by the way, I believe we just turn around and we cast right back at Jesus' feet. But then there are those that all of those works that they did, they weren't for God. They were for themselves. And they lived their life not for eternity, but for themselves. And as God sifts through the ashes, and they're peeking over the edge of the altar, just trying to see, is there anything that I did that remains? I think there will be plenty of people that have very little to show for it at that judgment. And that's convicting in and of itself. But I'm using it tonight as an illustration to show that what you want left in the altar, in the ashes of the altar, should determine how you live your life. The goal is to have gold and silver and precious stones. And if I think about the gold and silver and precious stones at the end of my life, I want that. It says that it will be, we'll have a reward if there's gold and silver and precious stones. That's what I want. I don't want to stand there and and have a total loss because of the way that I live for Christ. I want a reward and not for selfish reasons, but because in that moment, that's all that will matter about my life. I want to make a difference for Jesus Christ. And I could stop there. I mean, that's a convicting thought. But I'm using it as the illustration to say that you have a goal or an end in mind. And that should drive your daily decisions. Uh, We should probably think about that moment that we stand before Christ every day. We should think, okay, if in that moment that's what's left, then how should I live today? What words should I say to somebody today? How should I, should I present the gospel or not today? Should I spend time with the Lord or not today? If you're thinking about the moment that you stand before Christ, it starts to affect not just how you think, but how you live. And that end goal will start to change you in the way that you live your daily life. And the, the works that you do will get you to that moment. And every work you do will attach itself to either gold and silver and precious stones or wood, hay and stubble. There are works that produce rewards and there are works that produce loss. You choose your works on a daily basis. And those works either produce reward or they produce loss. That's the principle. Standing before Christ in a way that pleases him, it doesn't happen the day you stand before Christ. It happens today. Because those works in the altar, in the ashes, they're not works that you did right as you stepped up to the, in line. They're works that you'll do today. The works that you do for Christ, that's what will remain. And those things happen right now. And I'm just trying to get you to understand the principle here is that we should have a goal in mind that impacts our daily decisions. A goal-oriented person will go further in life and have a better end in eternity than the person who is just thinking about today. We choose every action in light of the present or in light of eternity. And the principle, I mean, we could have used other principles 
We could have used Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and that that's our goal, and that should be the deciding our daily decisions. We could have used Philippians 3, 14, I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and said that should drive our every decision. The point is that there are many scriptural principles that tell us you should have a big goal in mind and let that impact your daily decisions. It's not just spiritual. I mean, I think about 1 Timothy 4, for bodily exercise, profiteth little. And the point of that verse is to emphasize that profit there is in godly exercise. And that we have, that if we're going to be godly, we have to exercise godliness. It doesn't just happen, we have to be disciplined. We have to work. But there's a secondary point that he makes when he says bodily exercise does have a profit. It profiteth a little. Now, compared to eternity, it's not as profitable, but there is a profit in bodily exercise. And, and what he's saying there, and the point that I'm trying to make is that you have a goal at the end, and that goal affects your daily decisions, and it's not just spiritual. There are physical goals that we should have, and that should affect our daily decision. If you've ever tried to run a race, then you know you have to work on a, on a plan to get up to it. If you've, ever, if you've ever tried to lose a certain amount of weight, then you know the daily decisions are what, are what gets you there or not. So what's the point tonight? Well, the point is we're looking at finances and that you need a financial philosophy that also follows this principle. You need an end in mind. For instance, a good personal mission statement for finances would be something like this. I will arrange my finances to help me fulfill God's plan for my life, not hinder me from fulfilling it. And I think that, tr that truly should be the overall financial philosophy for every believer. Everything must be measured by that in that my, I will arrange my finances to help me fulfill God's plan for my life first, not hinder me from fulfilling it. You know, many people resist the idea of arranging their finances to first fulfill God's plan for their lives because I, I really believe they think there won't be anything left for them. But let me just remind you that from the very beginning and from the time that Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek there in Genesis 14, by the way, the word tithe, it literally means a tenth. That's what it means. So people say, well, where do you get a tenth? Well, that's what it means. That tithe is a tenth. And, and Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek. It was part of the Mosaic law. If you read in the, in the book of Malachi, then you know that God responds to us giving just a tenth with windows of heaven being opened. So a lot of people will say, well, if I give to God first, there won't be anything left for me. But God only asked for 10%. The other 90%, he basically says that's you. I mean, it's not ours, but you do with that other 90% what you ought to. I'm just asking for 10%. And some people have, have taken the fact that the Old Testament said 10%, but there's no number given in the New Testament to say that we, we don't have to give anymore. But if you read the New Testament, I'm telling you, it, giving is all through the New Testament. It's all through the, it's giving, it's all through the epistles and it's, it's all through the book of Acts. And there are certain principles that you see in the New Testament. And yes, it doesn't say 10%, but it does say something like in 1 Corinthians 16 too, it says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. So basically there's a principle is that it should be proportionate to our income. So in other words, according to that verse, when they came into the house of God on the first day of week, they were expected to give according to, to how God had prospered them. 
So there is a connection between what we earn and how much we give. Um, there's another principle that said it should be needs-based. If you read 1 Corinthians 9 and 2 Corinthians 8, there was a need at the church of Jerusalem, and so they were asked to give. That's, that's part of being a Christian. It's part of being in a local church. It should also be generous, according to 2 Corinthians 8, according to Philippians 4, when, when the Philippians gave to Paul over and above. And again, uh, it should be generous. It should also, though, be heart-based, meaning that we give from our hearts, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, in that we don't just give out of duty. We give because out of a heart of love, out of a heart of serving, out of a heart of being a blessing to somebody else. And so, yes, the New Testament doesn't say 10%, but the New Testament, I mean, in many ways, you could make an argument that the, the New Testament says, well, 10% is where we should start. Yeah, I agree. We give 10%, but if God gives us a, a, a large amount, we give in proportion to our income, if it, that we should give according to other people's needs, that we should give out of, out of, uh, of generosity, that we should give out of our heart to be a blessing to somebody else. Listen, I don't preach on giving a lot. But giving is expected for New Testament local church members. And it seems very natural to begin at 10% because Jesus didn't come and say, okay, that number is out. You don't have to mess with that anymore. No, nothing really changed. So we should just assume if that's the number God set from the beginning and he never changed it along the way, let's just, let's start right there. So, but before you get upset about 10%, just remember God's a giver and he's a debtor to no man. You could talk to countless people in this room who for years have given proportionate to their income and they've given on a needs basis and they've given generously and they've given from their heart and sometimes sacrificially and God has taken care of every one of their needs along the way. I mean, we could go around the room and so many would say that. I mean, we're not rich people here. We, we don't have a lot of wealth but, you're, but if you're a guest here tonight, you're looking at people that the ones that have made God the first priority in giving, in giving has always, we've always had our needs taken care of. We have way more than we deserve, by the way. In my experience, the people who passionately give both in attitude and in amount, they never seem to be the ones who have the least in the long run. Because God blesses. So what's the point again? Well, to have a goal and arrange your life on a daily basis to reach that goal. And in order to do that, I think it's important to be specific. We have to get practical. If we're going to have at the end finances that fulfill God's plan for our lives, which is above all else, that's what we already talked about, that's our mission statement, then we have to make specific decisions about things today. Because if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. But also, if you, aim at nothing, if you aim at something, but you don't consider the steps it takes to get there, I also think you'll hit nothing every time. Because we're good at making, setting goals, but we don't think about how we're going to get to those goals. A biblical financial philosophy demands specific goals, and underneath it, those goals, you must get specific about the works it requires. I mean, again, I'm going back to that, the, the, the altar, and the, after the fire has burned it, and there's ashes, what, what God is finding in the ashes is he's finding a specific work. There's a piece of gold. He finds another one. There's a, there's a piece of silver. He finds another one. There's a precious stone. So before we think the specifics don't matter, I, I, I really do believe that God is finding specific works. And, and he says every work is making a difference. 
So we have to get specific if we're going to reach our goals. And I just want to give you um, some, some important goals that we should have as, fi- as Christians in our finances and being stewards of our finances. These are the kinds of goals that we should have. We should, number one, we should, you should say, I will operate on a budget. And that means you sit down and you determine how much is needed for every category and, and you spend that much. You know, this is huge for getting out of debt, by the way is that you have a budget and that you don't overspend. It's easy to overspend. I will operate on a budget. Two, I will develop a schedule to pay off my debt. It's really important. Is that you don't just think, well, as I can, I'll pay off my debt. No, that you get a schedule and you start working at it. And I know Dave Ramsey calls it the gazelle-like intensity. You know, when a gazelle is being chased by a cheetah, he's not like running and it's like, oh, look at the butterflies. No, uh, he, is, he has a goal in mind. And that, honestly, if, if, you, if you have debt, you almost have to be that zoned in when it comes to paying off your debt. So I will operate on a budget. I will develop a schedule to pay off my debt. Number three, I will not take on further debt until I pay off my current debts. You talk about making it harder on ourselves is that we're heaping the burdens on top of burdens that are already there. Number four, I will strive to increase my investment in the ministry every year. You say, well, hold on, you know, now we're not getting practical. Except the fact that God blesses us the more we give to him. I think it's, it's wise for us to do what we can to increase our investment in God's kingdom. So I will operate on a budget. I will develop a schedule to pay off my debt. I will not take on further debt before I pay off my current debt. I will strive to increase my investment in the ministry every year. And listen, there are times where you can't. There are times where in our lives where we haven't been able to. But I do think that we go into it every year thinking, God, would, we, would you have us to increase how we're investing in the ministry? Number five, I will set aside some savings after my debts are paid. That's a big one. It's just to set aside savings. Uh, and I don't have all the numbers. I'm sure we'll look at it at some point. But how few people are actually saving these days. Number six, I'll buy a house rather than always rent if you can. I think that's a wise move. Number seven, I'll have a plan to take care of my family in a loss. Dad's a good thing to think about with life insurance and those kinds of things. I mean, just to be wise so that we don't leave our family in a bind and the, where they can't take care of things. Those are good goals to have. Those are goals we should probably all strive for. And there may be others, and you may disagree with some of those being as top priorities. But the point is, if you want to have your finances um, be a success for the Lord, then you need some goals. Set some goals. And here's some helpful mindsets about the goals avoid number one avoid the if only if only syndrome and I know a lot of people that spend all their time dreaming about oh if only I had this and if only I had that and if only we could do that and if only I would get a raise and if only but I know people that dream about the if only then they get a raise and a month later they're like well if only I got another raise you know, because sometimes I think we spend a lot of time dreaming about the if only, but we just, we don't take steps to do what we can while we can. So we're thinking about what, what isn't there and not doing the best with what is there in the moment. We're easily distracted by the big things and we forget we have to start small. 
Uh, don't let uh, the opportunity to begin something small be lost because you just want something big right now uh, because that happens. You know, we, we, want, we want all of it at, at right now and, and we forget that people that have all of it probably started by taking small steps to get there. And there are two, pri- I mean, just a couple of thoughts. There are two primary pains in life. There's the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. You've probably heard this before. Two primary pains, the pain of dis- discipline and the pain of regret. And discipline is measured in ounces, but regret is measured in tons. And that if you have the pain of discipline, uh, what it feels like it costs you afterwards is ounces. But, but if you have the pain of regret, it feels like it costs you in tons. And we have to just decide that we will be disciplined right now. The pain of discipline is so much better than the pain of regret. And if you keep waiting till if only, you'll never start and you'll always regret it. Another mindset is determine your goals by beginning with the end in mind. We've already been talking about that, but plan to accomplish what is most important in your life. Make some exciting goals. That's okay. Make some big goals. Uh, wait, wait a few days and then look at them again and say, I don't know what I was thinking. That doesn't make a lot of sense. That was too big. And then cross it off and start over. And I, I've, I've done this before in my own life where I do the, the tournament draw exercise. Have you ever done this? Where if you know anything about March Madness and basketball, then you know there's a bracket and it starts with 64 teams and, and you've got the one versus the 16 and the two versus the 15 and the three and the 14 and it goes down the line. So here's a good practice. If you want to find out what's most important when it comes to financial priorities, make a list of all your priorities from just, just think of them. Just put them right down the list. They don't have to be in order. And then give them a number. And then take the first two and pretend like they're going to be competing against each other. And say, well, which one is most important? Well, only one of those can be most important, so it goes to the next round. Do that with two, but in twos. And well, now you've got, let's say you start with 16. Well, now you've got eight. So then you pair up the next two and you find out which are more important, which one's the most important. So that one goes to the next round. And you'll finally get to the place where there's one winner right there in the middle of the bracket. So if you've ever tried to figure out, well, which goals matter the most? Well, you have to take some steps to try to figure out which ones are most important. That's just a simple, silly way to do it. But, but you know, if you like basketball, that might make it more fun because you can figure out your goals with a, a tournament bracket. But, you know, you, it's important just to figure out what matters the most. Write your goals down. That's another important one. You know, a lot of times you say, well, you know, this is important to me, but if you don't ever write it down, it never becomes official. It feels more significant if you write it down. Uh, Review it often. If not daily, look over it every day as much as you can and, and just think about it again. Do this, especially if you're wanting to buy something. Say, wait, okay, I'm gonna go visit my goals first. This would help us with our impulses, by the way is before I buy the, make this purchase, I'm going to go home and I'm going to look at the list of goals that I have in that notebook on the counter and I'm going to read through those first and I think that would probably solve a lot of our impulse buys. Goals have a way of helping us do that. I'll, here's another mindset. Make your goals very specific and measurable. In other words, don't write save money. Hey, it, you can't measure that. I mean, yeah, you can't measure that, but it's not easy. I would write, save $100 every week. I mean, if I could, we'd all probably like to be able to do that. 
Save $100 every week. That's a measurable and specific goal, and it's a lot easier to define than just save money. Other mindsets, make your goals flexible. Sometimes we think, well, this is my goal, and this cannot be changed. But I don't know about you, but my life is not predictable enough to never change how things are going. And you sometimes have to adjust your goals. And if you're a black and white personality and you say, well, this is the way it is and it must not change. No, you have to sometimes be reasonable and flexible. Some things change and that's okay. Make the goals realistic. That's the last mindset. I'd love to save a million dollars in the next five years. I'm going to write that down. Well, if you visit that in, in a week, you might say, that's not quite as realistic as I thought it might be. I mean, maybe it is for you, and if it is, I'd like to talk to you for a while after church tonight. And... <laughs> no, make sure your goals are attainable. Make sure they're realistic. Many times the unrealistic part of a goal is the time frame. And you say, well, this is a realistic goal, but you say I'm going to do it in six months, but really it might take you six years. Just be mindful. Listen, you're, you're, you'll not accomplish financial goals without these things. And let me just close with, I shouldn't have said the word close. I've been trying to not say the word close. Because as soon as I do, all the teenagers start closing their Bibles up. So um, leave your Bibles open, okay? Not done yet. Um, let me give you three final thoughts from Scripture. And then just common sense. Know specifically where all your money's going. Um, Proverbs 27 says, be thou, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. And the idea is that you know where your money's going. And these days it's pretty easy. There are apps that take care of all of it for you if you want to use an app or if you want to do this thing, it's called a pencil and a piece of paper. Um, maybe you have one of those in your house still. You know, use Excel, use numbers, use Quicken, whatever you can to track your spending for a week or a month. Because I, I can't tell you how many times I've said, I've thought, okay, over the last week, well, we spent, I think we spent like $35 eating out this week. And I go back and I actually look at the receipts. I'm like, wow, $235. <laughs> okay, that was an exaggeration, by the way. But I, that, that happens. Where if you're just estimating, you're probably not accurate. But if you actually go back and document what you've spent and you put it in a certain category, that'll sober you up pretty quick because you're thinking, we've been doing really good in this area until you start going back and thinking about all the things that you've spent. Listen, don't estimate, document. Know the state of thy flocks. Know where your money's going. Know how much you make and how much you have. No, check it. And again, if you've got a cell phone, your bank probably has an app that lets you look at the account balance and maybe you're like me and you're like, it's pretty depressing. I don't want to look at that thing very often. But before you go spend some money, it's good to look at it. It's good to know it. And then know specifically what you owe. Have your balances on all your debts. Know when they're due. Know what late payments will cost you. And then make those debts, those payments a priority with being gazelle mode. Listen, and these are all practical, but there are all kinds of principles out there that we could pursue. The biggest, though, in my mind, is set a good goal and have a plan to reach it. Because our finances will only always ever be what they are unless we say, this is what I want to do with it. 
This is the goal I want to make, and this is the goal I want to set, and these are the steps I think will require us to get there. Even if it's small, having a goal gives you direction and focus and motivation. And remember this part. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. So without a destination, you're going nowhere. So questions. Do you need to set some financial goals? Do you have a budget? It's time to sit down and make one. Um, have you increased your investment in ministry lately? How are you doing at savings? Uh, do you know where your money is going? Do you know how much or maybe more appropriately how little you have? Do you know your balance? Are you working hard to pay off your debts? See, if you don't set some goals, you'll hit nothing every time. And I think it would help us as God's people to be the best stewards we can be and to have our money not hinder us from God's work, but help us in God's work if we would set some goals and start working toward accomplishing them. All right, every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.